Hello and welcome to Beth Takoon and this final installment of the Spiritual Seasons series. Today we are in Parsha Bereshit. But before we begin, I want to say that our thoughts are with the people of Israel now. And if anyone in Israel hears this, know that we are praying for you and that there are many, many in the nations who stand with Israel. And may the Almighty bless his chosen people with many miracles in battle and with a great victory over evil. One more thing before we get to Parsha Bereshit. This is the 48th and final teaching in this series. Let me just say that I have really enjoyed working on this. It has been a labor of love and a wonderful blessing. And I'm grateful to God for the um, consistent inspiration week after week and for giving me the right moment in life to be able to just sort of focus in wholeheartedly on this teaching series. And I've learned so much. And I've had a lot of encouraging feedback from listeners in the States and even from a few other countries. At the um, end of the teaching today, I'll share a little about, uh, Lord willing, what I hope to do next uh, for those who are interested. In fact, the teaching today will give just a taste of what I hope to do in the next season. So stay tuned to the end for that. For now, though, we are in the very first portion of the Torah, Parsha Bereshit, in the beginning. Last year, we started in the second portion with this series of teachings, Parsha Noach. And so, doing this first portion now, will complete the series. Of all the portions, this one is probably the most familiar to all of us. It's one of my favorites. In Genesis 1, we read the first six days of creation. Chapter 2 begins with the seventh day and goes on to talk about the creation of Adam and the Garden of Eden, including the four rivers that originate in and uh, water the garden. Adam is placed in the garden to work it and keep it, and he is told that he may eat of any of the trees except one, lest he die. Adam names the animals, and finally we have the creation of Eve. Chapter 3 is the fall of mankind and the punishments given to the serpent, the woman, and the man. And in relation to the punishment on the man in particular, the ground is cursed as well that it will require uh, much pain from mankind to yield its produce for man. Mankind is driven out of the garden. In chapter 4, we witness the first murder when Cain kills his brother Abel. Here we hear that question that echoes throughout the word of God. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, the answer is yes, we are keepers of our brothers. Cain is cursed, and um, he's cursed that the ground will no longer yield its strength to him, and that he would forever be a wanderer on the face of the earth. Cain settles east of Eden, and we read, At the end of chapter 4, we read of some of his descendants. Chapter 5 takes up a different genealogy, though. It traces the line of descent from Adam through his son, Seth, down to Noah, ten generations in all. In the very last verses 
of the portion, we witness the descent of mankind into the great darkness that leads to the flood and the cleansing of the earth. The final verse of Bereshit reads, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Well, as we start to dip into the portion, let me just say that whenever I come to Bereshit and the beginning of Genesis here, I feel like I'm just on especially holy ground. It is not only holy, but it's particularly dense. It just feels like picking up a gem that is so covered in facets, the brightness and reflection sort of overwhelm the eye. And as we grow and change, it seems like this portion, maybe even more than others, it changes for us. We read it differently all the time. We try to understand, and that's good, but then the next time we come to it, we see more. We see differently. We say, oh, what was I thinking when I read it that way? Um, But we really shouldn't think like that, I suppose. But these words just can't be pinned down. They keep escaping our small understandings. And that's true of the whole Torah, but it's especially true of these earliest chapters of the Torah. They're just special. And, um, And it's a wonderful thing. It helps to keep us humble, for one thing, that we keep coming back and seeing more deeply. It also means that we're growing if we're seeing in a different way. And um, so it's just kind of that mixture of emotions as we pick up these chapters again. But um, since this teaching is in um, one way it's the first, it's the first portion, but in another it's the last, uh, the last in this series, I'm going to focus today squarely on the underlying rubric that I have been using for approaching every Torah portion, what I have been calling the salvation pattern. So today I want to look at the pattern itself, then use it as a tool for giving a context to the whole Bible first, and then to the creation story second. And uh, for the first time, I have prepared some slides to help us visualize the salvation pattern and um, the couple of applications also that I want um, to make with it today. So several slides. And so you might see me fidgeting a little bit um, with trying to get those graphics up for you. But um, the salvation pattern is very visual. And often I'm looking at it as a circle that I've drawn and put different points along that circle of a progression. Um, And so, as I explore within it, I often make connections while I'm staring at various pictures of it. And um, so, anyway, I hope that's helpful today a little bit. Um, But before we dive in, let me first explain once again what the salvation pattern is. The salvation pattern... Um, is what I call the underlying pattern to everything in the universe and in the Word. It's only that small, right? It's just everything. (laughs) And so it's a powerful key for giving context to everything in creation. It is the pattern for how things grow. And so it is the, um, the path along which we develop in our walk with God. It's the pattern for how a fruit grows. For example, it's the pattern for how God relates first to Abraham and then a little differently to Isaac and then 
a little differently again to Jacob as his relationship is growing with Israel. And so it's also the pattern of Israel's entire history of walking with God and the pattern of the world, world history. It's the pattern reflected by the Moedim in the year, in the seasons of the year. It's the pattern of the Torah cycle in the pattern of ancient Jewish marriage. It's the story that the stars are telling us as they shift in the heavens throughout the year. It is the layout of the tabernacle as we walk through it. It's the design of the human body as we go from top to bottom. <clears throat> it's even the backbone of the prayer of the Shema. It is the design for how a human being develops from infant to old age. And it's all the same story. It's just a, a marvel. It's only God could do it. It's his poetry. And so what is the story? What is the story? Well, it, it is, we're going to get to it. But um, one way to talk about it <coughs> is that it is the story of the one through whom everything was made, Yeshua, the Messiah. His name means salvation of God. And since everything was made through Yeshua, since Yeshua was the instrument that God used to create everything, you could say that everything is the bullet that is shot through the barrel that is Yeshua. And so it all bears his mark, right? That barrel is going to make a mark on that bullet as it leaves the chamber. And so <clears throat> it all came through him. So everything speaks his story. It is the story of how you first came to know God and began walking with him. It's also the story of how you take every single step forward with God as you grow with him. And so let's look at the big picture for the salvation pattern now. And so I'm going to do this with a visual. It's actually just a list of words. But as it comes up, feel free to pause the video. And um, if you want to read through it on your own, which is a good idea, I think, um, it's always good to process it before you start to hear a bunch of words somebody else puts onto something. And so if you have been walking with the Lord, you will sense something very familiar in the salvation pattern. Again, this is how we grow in the Lord. This is how we walk out our salvation with him. Because I think basically growth and salvation are the same thing, particularly if we're walking with the Lord. Well, as we begin, let me just add that as my understanding grows, summaries like these change. At first, they change a lot. Um, and then as we learn more, hopefully they're changing less and less, but they are always still changing, this kind of summary of this salvation pattern. Um, it is a developing understanding. But let me add this. Imperfect as <clears throat> this set of ideas surely is, in working on these ideas and developing this tool with the Lord's leading, my eyes have been opened as never before. This is a great 
power here to connect A to B. And in making those kinds of connections, we begin to see in 3D with depth, as Grant would often say. When you, when you take one of these progressions and you align it with another one and you're seeing them on a circle, you start to say, oh, well, this over here is the same as this in this other progression. And there are two, two versions of the story and um, things just start to open up in new ways. And so as we go through this story, we will be roughly following these key ideas on the screen from top to bottom. And um, whether we're just coming to God for the first time or we've been walking with him for decades, God's pattern of salvation begins with darkness. And so we have darkness at the top here. Um, And so I'm not going to necessarily read what's on the screen, but I'm just going to be talking. And then, and, and you'll be picking out the key words from the text that you can see on the screen here. And so it begins with darkness. And that is what we find at the very beginning in our Parsha here, Bereshit. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So God has chosen for his good purposes that we take our first breaths in darkness. Egypt, which we could talk about this dark context as Egypt or ancient Egypt, is what we know when we begin life. This place of constraints, double straits, this place of slavery. And so we could call it slavery. We will spend a lifetime coming out of the darkness of, and what is this darkness? Um, And so I think it's especially a few things. One, it is sort of the smothering of our ego, which is our self-awareness that I'm separate from everything else. Uh, But there's so much that comes with the ego and we try to structure a certain image for the world and we protect that and so much of our energy goes into that. Um, So that's one thing that the darkness is, I think. Um, And that's, it's keeping us in a box. But another is, aspect to the darkness is an inclination to live for the flesh, pleasures of the flesh. I think another one is just this world system that we find us in. All of these things are just boxing us in. And so we soon realize that we are not okay in this place, in this darkness, that we are trapped. We're trapped by ego and, and flesh and the world system or this domination of the flesh. And that very awakening to the walls that are hemming us in is a response to something like a beam of light that God has sent in to penetrate our darkness. It's him who reach, who's reaching down to us first. We're in this dark place. We hardly even know we're there. It's all we know. How would we, how would we even know um, to be able to see the difference between darkness and light if he didn't send in some light into our situation and some truth? And so by that light... We see enough to realize, I'm a slave. 
I'm a slave to my body. I'm a slave to my emotions. I'm a slave to my thoughts that I just can't seem to get out of certain pathways. I'm a slave to the expectations of others and the judgmentalism of others and my fear of people. Are they going to judge me? What are they going to think of me? I'm under the thumb of a vicious dog-eat-dog world that only wants to use me and cares nothing for me. And from that place of awakening, that new awareness, we call out to our Creator for help. This is what Israel did in Egypt when they called out to Him from their place of entrapment, their place of slavery. God hears this crying out, and He calls back to us. And He says, I'm sending help. I'm sending help down there. (laughs) And He says, turn away from that place. Start coming out of there, right? Through Moses, he says to the people, come out, come out of Egypt. And so out of desperation, really, uh, more than anything, and by God's miraculous hand, right, all those miracles in Egypt, we begin to turn our back on the darkness that holds nothing but misery for us anyway. So it's not a very difficult decision here, right at this beginning, these early stages of moving away. We haven't fully committed to the Lord yet, but we're starting to see, oh, there's darkness and there's light, and do I really want to be part of that? And so as we put even a tiny distance between ourselves and the darkness, God gives us something, a gift of first fruits, right? A taste of peace a thrill of something coming to life inside of us, these first fruits of of turning from the world. Something has changed, and we know it, something profound. He has allowed us to feel a glimpse of freedom, of real life, not the impersonation of life we have been living up to that point. We are a seeker who... um, who's beginning to turn our backs on the world. Again, we haven't really met God yet. Maybe he's up there as some big, powerful something. Um, not, certainly not a personal relationship yet. We haven't embraced him. But now that we're souring on the world, right, and turning a little bit from the world, the world can sense that, and it lashes out at us and tries to hurt us, and we suddenly find that we don't belong anywhere. We don't belong in the world anymore, and we haven't quite turned to God yet. And so we're, it can be a lonely time without a tribe, without a people. But God continues to pr- pursue us within and without, right? A voice within. Uh, maybe he'll send along some people without or some situations. And somehow or other, for each of us, he got us to a place where the path of following him was laid out clearly before us. We knew that he was offering something great to us, in fact, a special relationship with him, life as it was meant to be, peace and fellowship with others and all the things that matter in life. But we also saw clearly that if we say yes, the cost is very great. We really have no idea at this point yet, really, the, the cost. We still, you know, as, as we walk, we find out more and more what the cost is. But we can see some of that cost, and um, what we see is that he requires, after this has been explained to us in a more, maybe we can say traditional way, here is what it means to follow God, (laughs) and here is what his ways are like, generally. Um, 
And so we know that if we're saying yes, that he is going to require us to become holy because he is holy. And that means that we have to submit every part of our lives to his laws, from our friendships to our speech to our clothing that we're wearing, right? It has to be modest and holy. To the use of our money and tithing and, and even our time. All of these areas must be elevated and more. Uh, they must be elevated to holiness. And it's a big ask because... We get a lot of enjoyment from indulging the flesh, um, at least until all of that catches up to us. We might even think that we literally cannot survive in a scenario where we have to tell the truth, in a world where we can't cheat occasionally, in a lifestyle where we have to weigh heavily the needs of others constantly, right? have to be thinking about you and this decision and you and how this affects this person. It looks like weakness to us. We still have the thinking of the world that's controlling us. And we know that the weak simply get eaten. They get eaten up and spit out. The weak fade away to nothing. And this is kind of how we're thinking in the moment. And, and nobody misses them when they're gone. But a voice deep within, it keeps saying to us, you know this is the way. You know there is no other way. Right? If there's God, then, um, and, and God has spoken to us about his way, if God is real, then this is the only path. Right? And if you're going to throw your lot in with him, you've already seen what the other has to offer, and it's nothing but death. You might as well go this way. Right? <laughs> and so, um, so just do it. And so we say, yes, we take the plunge. And the angels rejoice with us in heaven. And so we have the beginning of covenant with God, the beginning of covenant with God. And that's when the great battle begins. We start making changes and the flesh rises up and pride rises up and others in the world rise up and we find ourselves stumbling and sliding and starting again and slipping. And we know that we're often a hypocrite and we purpose to do better, and maybe we make some progress. But eventually, we just have to look at ourselves and say, boy, I am just so weak. Why am I so weak? Isn't he promising me victory here? What is going on? And so I think we're all pretty familiar with the process up to this point. It's from here onward that we generally, I think, have less clarity when we're thinking about the salvation process and living the victorious life. But when we look at scripture and the annual Moedim and the many pictures of salvation, and when we approach these things maybe more with a little bit more of a Hebraic mindset, we begin to see what the pathway looks like moving forward from that place of, boy, I just keep losing the battle here. (laughs) It's not that we haven't been walking these other parts of the salvation pattern that's been less clear to us. You know, praise the Lord that we don't have to understand it to be walking through it. He is going to walk us through the seasons, whether we understand them or not. Um, It's just that um, there are some parts of it that I think we're naturally inclined to have more understanding as we walk through it than others. And again, we're not just talking about this beginning Uh, walk with God. We're really talking about every step with God has all of these elements to it. 
And so, I mean, if we're really paying attention, and we'll, in the year, of course, we've been saying through this teaching series, has these elements, this progression to it. And so what the salvation pattern says here at this point of humbling, when we've, we're seeing ourselves in a new way, and we're saying, boy, I'm, I'm just pretty weak here, um, we are ready at this point for an outpouring of his grace, a deeper work in our hearts that he also invites us to have a small part in bringing about. Um, This is a point in the pattern where we step up and have a little bit more to do with it. But this is about his grace. So, okay, you see it. I wanted you to see it. You're admitting to it. And so now you're ready. You're ready for me to, to help you here. And so... What do we see in the patterns? What do we see in the calendar? It's we throw ourselves into repentance. We say that we see, we say that we see our lack of strength, our lack of heart, especially. I don't, I just, I'm not feeling it, God. Why, why aren't I feeling it? We ask for forgiveness. We speak out our sin specifically and, and, our remorse we express to God, and we also make what changes we can and um, to show him that we're serious about wanting to change. And then we just kind of reach up and we say, God, I know I'm weak, and I know my life is not as holy as it needs to be, but I want you to be my king anyway. There's, there is no other way for me. And help me to do better. And he answers. He answers through his son, who acts as our high priest in the connecting role of the high priest, connecting above to below and below to above. And through Yeshua, he does a deeper work of writing the Torah inside of us. He opens the doorways for us to understand him and his Torah more deeply and to grow our passion for him and his ways. And so passion is a key word, this this growing of this passion. Like, God, why don't I feel... You know, it's just not in my heart. Well, no, he's going to put it in your heart. And part of what that means is a passion for him and his Torah. And in this outpouring of his grace, he empowers us to walk faithfully. And he draws even closer to us than when we started. Through Yeshua, he gives us a a new covenant. And a new covenant means a new and deeper relationship with him. Now, do you find yourself being um, maybe a little skeptical of this? Oh, I can just get to that point of realizing, and then I can just say, okay, Lord, and then he'll just, he just does it. <laughs> you know? Well, let me say that we have no other gospel than this. We have no other hope than that when we are struggling to overcome the flesh, sincerely, earnestly struggling, and, and looking inward by the light that, that he provides for us to see inwardly and our stepping wrongly and, and all of that. And when we sincerely reach out to him in repentance, he will hear our cry and answer us. And since we believe that we aren't just hamsters, right, spinning on a wheel, going nowhere, that's not what our life is about. And he makes it possible for us to keep growing and improving and moving higher, right? Not just round and round. We understand that when he responds to our sincere shuva, our repentance, we end up at a higher place with him than before we started. 
The sacrifice of the Messiah is good enough to purchase this kind of salvation in which he's lifting us up step by step. He has purchased that for the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. But there's more to the story than God forgiving our sin and opening us to a deeper walk with him. He wants us to deal with the sin. And so we move on from this point to another level of cleansing, and he helps to refine us and clean us up, partly by giving us problems to walk through with him. We're partly talking about the idea of exile here and this cleansing and this purging, the cleansing of the vessel. And so once the flesh, the vessel, is cleaned up, not just our physical bodies, but our souls, it becomes, at least for this go-round, it becomes a holy vessel that the inner spirit can flow into, the spirit that has been pent up inside until this point. And that's when uh, our light really starts to shine in the dark world. We find eventually that we begin to enjoy serving others even, whereas before it was, oh, leave me alone, I want to do what I want to do. And <laughs> uh, We start to uh, care less and less about what others think of us, right? Our ego is, is starting to be controlled. Ego is not all bad, by the way. It, it helps us to step up from our own individuality and serve him. We find that we're um, becoming stronger to walk faithfully. So that's a key word here, walking faithfully. And we begin to know who we are, who we are made to be, what our special role is in the body, right? So that's, that's maybe a good expression of our individuality and our ego. We begin to understand how to focus on our strengths and stop running around so much after this or that project, which might be good and useful, but which isn't quite what we're made to fit. And God begins to use us to not only take care of the body, the larger body, to take care of it through our service, but to grow the body, right, in an evangelical way. And our relationship with God, we find, is deepening and deepening. And our delight is in serving him. And he delights in providing for us and in serving us. And so we end up at this place of echad. And then he says, well, I love you so much that I want to open another dark room for you to deal with. And the adventure begins again. And so number nine here connects back to the top to number one. It's a circle. It's a cycle. And it's an adventure, right? It's an adventure. Well, that was a lot. Um, Salvation is not a simple process. There are many seasons in the year and many harvests in the year. And God is endlessly creative with us. And so he's not pinned down to this one pattern. Um, But um, I'm sure you realize that this wild-seeming ride, this salvation walk, this journey that we are on cycle after cycle, it's the only life. It's the only real life. It's the only way to live and praise him. We are always safe, we know, in 
his hands at every point in the process, no matter what Amalek tries to tell us along the way. When doubt, when Amalek crops up, we show him no mercy. When the thought comes, is God with us or not? We don't reason with it, because this is not an easy cycle to go through, and there are some hard knocks along the way. We need them. And, but we're prone to doubt in those moments, and so we don't reason with Amalek when doubt crops up. We come to expect what we know of salvation. We don't yell at Amalek. We don't coddle Amalek, certainly even for one second. We just destroy it. We destroy him with a single breath, the word no. And we move on, and we're strengthened in our walk by studying daily in the word. And we learn more and more how to be strengthened in prayer and in the body, right? We listen to each other's testimonies, and we say, wow, yes, that's, that's how I want to walk. And, um, and, I'm, and I'm so glad you're walking that way, too, and... Uh, and more and more that, that deep peace and that deep joy and deep love grows within us until there's not really much room inside of us for anything else. And so, well, that was all a bit longer than, than I've taken uh, before to explain that progression, but that's the big picture. And I suppose if there's a time to, to get into the explanation a bit more, it's here This is a good time at the beginning of the Torah cycle. Well, let me quickly point out a few layers here in this graphic here um, that that maybe might not pop out um, without a little bit of explanation here. So notice that one through seven are colorful uh, and eight to nine are more gray. So this is indicating two journeys in the year, or two journeys in the salvation pattern, we can say. The first journey is one through seven, and the second journey here, in this presentation of it here, um, is seven, eight, nine, and then one again. Seven, eight, nine, and one. And so that's the second journey. The first journey is what we have been calling the journey in the light, with all these colors here. And the second is the journey in the darkness. The journey in the light entails God being the prime mover. God is the prime mover, right? Um, The arousal from above is what it's called Hebraically. And he sends the light at that time. And the journey in the darkness involves us being more active to embody the light and to return the light, to become the light and reflect it. And so notice, too, that there are several groupings of numbers here, um, which are really, maybe we can call them in the Moedim progression. These, uh, this salvation pattern, it is so connected to the Moedim that I've grouped them here in um, according to groupings of the Moedim. And so, one, two, and three are the Passover group, Pesach, Matzah, or unleavened bread, and then first fruits, Pesach, Matzah, and first fruits. And so, the first gap that you can see here in this kind of yellow-green color is the Omer period. 
Number four, then, moving forward, is Shavuot. And then the second gap includes the three weeks. It's kind of that blue-green color. And um, that includes the three weeks of mourning. This is when God maybe turns his face away, we can say. And so um, that period of the three weeks ends in the ninth of Av, when the temples are destroyed. And then five, six, and seven are the fall Moedim, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. And eight and nine are Hanukkah and Purim. And so that's just to say that the energies for growth at these different stages of the salvation pattern are reflected by the energies of these various annual Moedim, which are really critical for helping us to know how God is helping us to grow at different points each year, right? So this whole pattern is very much tied to the Moedim and the themes of the various Moedim, which are so clear for us um, that they just provide a lot of information for us. And so once we have a, a base pattern to work with, we can start applying it here and there and everywhere. And so we've been doing this on a small scale in most of the Torah portions. Each time we line up a progression next to the salvation pattern, we end up learning more. And it it helps us to tweak our understanding of the overall pattern. And since we're here at the beginning of the Bible, I thought we could do an example today showing how the whole Bible is arranged according to the salvation pattern. And so this is just a reading, what you could call a, a drosh, you know, this, this sort of more Hebraic way of, of exegesis and, and uh, explanation and exploring within the, the Bible. But, but what Bible study isn't drush, right? So take it all with a grain of salt, of course, always. Um, it, uh, it comes after um, taking many, many, many of these progressions and layering them and looking for what's at the root of each one. But like I said... It grows and it changes and it gets honed over time. And so on the, um, on the left, well, let's see here. Let's move this up. On the um, left here, I have uh, some keywords for the salva- salvation pattern. And on the right, I have ideas for how the Bible as a whole reflects the pattern. So here now you can see the benefit of the color coding, um, which helps to communicate correspondences quickly. And um, again, you may want to pause the video at this point and process the slide a bit on your own before starting the video again. And so I'll give you a minute to do that. Now let's, um, let's walk through this briefly now. Um, obviously, a whole teaching could be done on a slide like this one. And we just have uh, time to do a quick flyover. I have um, here on the slide divided the Bible into seven sections here. And you can see that they are the Torah, the prophets, the writings... Right, that's the Tanakh, the, the Torah, the Nevi'im, and the Ketuvim. And then we have a, like a new beginning point with the Gospels, the Book of Acts, which is historical, uh, and then the letters. 
And then finally, revelation. Revelation is different from the others. And so my main goal here is just, just to show that there is a general correspondence and sequence of themes from left to right. A general correspondence and sequence of themes. It's telling the same story on the left side and on the right side. And so the Torah encompasses the first four steps of the salvation pattern. Steps one through four are found in the Torah. And so we find in this very uh, first portion that man doesn't last very long before falling into darkness, darkness, which we find at the beginning. Chapter 3 of Genesis is the fall of Adam and Eve. So already by chapter 3, this, this great darkness is beginning to grow. And then in chapter 4, we have a brother rising up against his brother, the first brothers. And in chapter 5, we have 10 generations that fall so low that God destroys humanity with the flood. In other words, though we know that there is a light even before the darkness, right? We're starting here in darkness, and our salvation pattern is starting in darkness. And we're finding this darkness very quickly in Genesis, right here at the beginning of the Bible. Um, We know, though, that really there's a light before that, and that's Genesis 1 and 2. And, And so that memory, it fades quickly. It doesn't You know, God doesn't give us that light for very long, but um, it makes an impression on us. It makes an impression within us. And what happens is that when we we encounter truth later, we've already learned it. We've already seen it. And so something deep within us recognizes it. But my point here for the moment is that the darkness begins right off the bat. It's really what we experience when we come into consciousness in this world. Um, But even that darkness doesn't stay blindingly dark for long. Uh, We soon see in the biblical text the calling out of Abraham, and he's obedient. And then the calling out of Israel, and they are obedient. And then we have the early victories over Egypt and Amalek that are like first fruits and Finally, we have the giving of the Torah, which is the fourth step of the pattern, the step that aligns with Shavuot. And so moving forward here and seeing the salvation pattern in the Bible, we come to the prophets. And these are really amplifying for us this stumbling period, which comes next after the giving of the Torah and the accepting of this covenant we come to the stumbling period in which God turns his face away. And what could better describe the prophets than this moment of God turning his face away? Um, we come next to the writings, and we could liken them to the month of Elul, the beginning of return, a period associated with matchmaking, right? Remember the Tuba Av, uh, this, this matchmaking day, and also the romance of I am to my beloved, and my beloved is to me, right? Ani ladodi vadodi li is an acronym for Elul, the sixth month. And so among 
And so I go back and forth here between the calendar and the, and the, the pattern and the Moedim as I'm trying to kind of talk about these root pieces. Um, but among the writings are Psalms and Proverbs, also the Song of Songs, uh, which is where Ani Vidodi comes from, uh, that verse. We have the books here of Ruth and Esther. We also have Lamentations and Ecclesiastes. We have Ezra and Nehemiah and the Chronicles books, among a few others, um, Daniel, Job. Some of these are filled with the wisdom of having learned some tough lessons in life, right? Think of Job. Think of Ecclesiastes and, and uh, meaningless, meaningless, right? Um, they, they give us the sense in Proverbs. Um, they give us the sense of someone who has experienced some things and been burned and has come to the other side and said, here's what I've learned, <laughs> right? Here's what I've seen. And um, others of these books are filled with romance, right? Think, um, think Ruth and think the Song of Songs. And, and, and Esther, I think, has a good bit of romance in it. And now think, too, of literally the beginning of Israel returning, returning to the land, returning to this kind of relationship with God that's possible in, only in the land, this higher level. Um, and so where do we see that? Well, we can see that partly through um, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, where Israel literally begins returning to the land. And also we find that in the final verses of Chronicles which is the end of the Jewish ordering of the Tanakh. And so moving on then in the Bible, we have a kind of second beginning with the Gospels, right? Remember, we're talking about two journeys in the salvation pattern, two journeys in the year. We're having a second beginning here with the Gospels. And so um, what we begin to see there right off the bat is Israel actually embracing repentance through John the Baptist. I mean, it's one thing for the prophets to say, repent, repent, repent. It's another thing to actually see Israel repenting um, in this uh, story of John the Baptist that begins each of the Gospels or or some of the Gospels. And so most of the Gospels are uh, focused on Yeshua's actual words, his teachings, and... um, These words form the beginning of a deeper connection between God and mankind. Remember this this point of beginning the second journey is this point of marriage, we could call it, of echad, the beginning of echad. And so that's what the Gospels are showing us, that point. And um, that in itself is a process. And that deeper connection won't reach its fullness until after Yeshua's crucifixion and resurrection and his ascension. And these are the latter steps in the Gospels. Some of them, um, it's, it's a lot about Yeshua's uh, trials and, and his crucifixion. And so those are just taking the relationship to a new level. And... And, and there's forgiveness that's being affected there after the stumbling period. And, um, and there's a new and intimate relationship that is happening through Yeshua's great act of, of giving of himself. 
that goes beyond even the connection that we're experiencing with God through Yeshua's words. And we can sense this greater intimacy when we're looking, for example, in the book of Acts, and the young body of believers is suddenly filled with a passion for God that they didn't have. And this passion is connected, uh, once again, to the new covenant. It's um, connected to the Torah on the heart. And um, this opening up of the Tanakh to be able to see Yeshua in the Torah, the writing of the Torah on the heart. And so in Acts, I'm, all of this is bound up in this, in this time of coming together in the Gospels. And we're, we're seeing that, what has happened there in the book of Acts and this, this great new fervor in the people of God. And so... And they're willing to walk through fire now for God and the Master Yeshua. We also see here in the book of Acts a culling of the Jewish root, which is a kind of cleansing. And so we're not talking about replacement theology here. Uh, we're talking about a shifting of the focus of God's work of salvation. Um, the center of God's work of salvation is shifted to specifically the Jewish believers in Yeshua. And, um, and it's not that the rest of the Jewish people are not still his, his holy and chosen people, but we're seeing a shift here of, of focus. And so that in itself is a kind of a cleansing. And even within that body of believers in Yeshua, these Jewish believers in Yeshua, um, there's a further sifting needed that we see in a, a story like Ananias and Sapphira. And so strengthened and purified in this way, we're talking about the purification of the body, the vessel. Um, and at that point, the spirit is, has, is flowing in the body, um, which we read about in Acts 2, the beginning of that. Um, with that kind of a uh, of, of a beginning, a new beginning, the branches can start to go out and the shoots go out and the people become the light in an evangelistic way. And they take the light into the darkness of the Gentile world. And so we come then to the letters and um, here in the letters we see how the body works, how we love faithfully within the body. Paul, who is the author of many, I've just, I've just grown more and more to love Paul's letters and how he's expressing his love to these people who he, who he maybe didn't spend all that much time with, but he feels just such a fatherly sense toward them in his letters, and, and he prays for them, and, and he expresses his love for them. He also brings stern words of correction for them sometimes. It's just a great example to us of how um, a body is to work and how headship works with the body. And, and, and he asks the body to um, give offerings for those who are suffering in, in a drought, in a famine in, in the land of Israel. <coughs> right? So we're seeing just these practical examples. Love in the body. And a lot of detail. A lot of detail, detail, detail. Paul goes from here and there and everywhere and, and others. And so... Finally, we come then to the book of Revelation. And 
we witness the final testing and purifying of of the body of believers and 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 the bride and this ends in the great echad the great unity of the final chapters of the bible well we went through that relatively quickly, but the benefit of the video and the notes is that you can take as much time as you like to think through some of these connections. And so let's finally get to the meat of Bereshit here today. The pattern is really set in this first part of the Bible, in these first chapters. And so it's appropriate for us to briefly see how the pattern we're working with here holds up against this most fundamental test, the beginning chapters of Genesis, which in truth also are, you know, we're our forefront in the mind when we're even coming up with the pattern in the first place. Um, but the correspondence um, in this one we're going to see is going to be much more direct um, than with the the last one that we just looked at. It's just barely fitting on the screen there. But um, notice, though, that in order to bring this correspondence of the days of creation, we have to also include Genesis um, to the salvation pattern. We have to include Genesis chapter 2. And so um, you can see Genesis chapter 2 here as numbers corresponding to numbers 8 and 9. And so, if we want to um, include, again, the journey in the dark, we have to keep going beyond the seventh day of creation. Chapter 2 provides the complementary journey, complementary journey, to Genesis 1, right? That journey in the darkness. And so, I think it's just amazing, some of the correspondences we're going to see here, that we can already... Uh, match up to, you know, this whole year of learning that we've done and what we've just done previously in this teaching. So it's interesting, too, that um, whoever decided on the chapter breaks put the seventh day in chapter two rather than chapter one. And so there's a kind of overlap happening between the seven days of creation and the second telling of the creation story in chapter 2, right? We've got one whole story of the creation of the world in days 1 through 7, and then there's a verse that says, you know, this is, this is the, basically sets us up for the, a second creation story, two creation stories in chapters 1 and 2. And so, strangely though, day 7 is not included in chapter 1, it's included in chapter 2. And so, obviously, um, the chapter breaks are not written into the Torah. This is something that man has added, but I think there's some level of inspiration there as well. And, and for us, we can see, in any event, whoever broke it into chapters felt that there was such a difference between the seventh day and the first six that it needed to be separated in this way. But what we can see here, if you think back to previous teachings, is another example of how the end is and wedged in the beginning. The beginning and the ending are overlapping. And so the first journey is about coming out of darkness. Um, and there's this twilight period in between, this time of overlap where the end is in wedged in the beginning. 
But um, speaking of this journey out of darkness, remember we've been talking about um, the darkness at the beginning of the Torah, the darkness at, um, uh, at, at the beginning of the salvation pattern here. Um, and here when we come to the creation story, um, again, we have um, this darkness at the beginning and in the middle, with light begins very quickly there. And in the middle of that, we have the fourth day, which is the sun and the moon and the stars. And so what is in the middle is kind of um, indicative of the whole, that whole journey is what we find in the middle. And so we find the sun, moon, and stars. It's about light. It's about light, this first uh, creation narrative and the coming of the light. And um, the second journey, on the other hand, is about the creation of a physical vessel, right? The journey in the darkness. And where do we see that? Well, chapter 2, after the seventh day, begins with the garden and mankind being placed into the garden, which is a descent into the darkness of physicality for the purposes of raising it up. Mankind is meant to bring fertility from the garden, out of the garden, and uh, using that garden for spiritual purposes. And so we can say that your vessel, your flesh and your soul, that is your garden that you are given to tend and to bring forth the fertility of it. Uh, But that's not going to happen until we are within the body. And so um, there's a a verse, Genesis 2-4, that fascinatingly reveals a kind of turning point as one journey is ending and the other is beginning in the Genesis text. It is the verse that begins the second telling of the creation, and it reads like this. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth, and the heavens. And so what's curious about this verse is the mirror image the words make with the phrase heavens and the earth used uh, um, at the beginning and earth and heavens used at the end. The second journey is, and so we, we, why does the verse want to um, flip them there and say um, the heavens and the earth, and then at the end of the verse it says the earth and the, hev- and the heavens. Well, we're seeing a mirror image, um, partly reflecting the fact that a, a mirror image journey is beginning. And it's one that focuses on the earth first, that second journey does, and bringing out the potential of the earth, and bringing out the uh, potential of the physical world. And so there we see in the language the um, putting of the earth um, before the heavens, this interesting verse. So we need to notice um, one more important detail in these two chapters before we begin this one. The narrative begins with only the name Elohim for God, the name for God that emphasizes strict justice. But as the transition happens between the first journey and the second journey, here in chapter 2, right here with this verse that we were just talking about. The text starts to use 
a combination name for God. yod heh vav heh Elohim, right? The tetragrammaton, the, the, the four-letter unpronounceable name of God combined with Elohim, right? Hashem, the name Elohim. The name that, <coughs> um, this name, yod heh vav heh um, connotes God's grace and mercy, and this gets added to the front of Elohim, balancing it. It's not that Elohim is dropped. It continues on in the text, but we end up with starting at the beginning of the second journey with an echad, <clears throat> even expressed in the name of God himself, a union in which God's attribute of justice is softened and balanced by his attribute of mercy. And so, again, this speaks to union that happens as the second journey begins and to God's outpouring of mercy through Yeshua, right? This name, yod yod Hey vav Hey. This outpouring of mercy through Yeshua and the new covenant that we particularly associate with the beginning of this second journey and the ending of the first. Well, um, getting to the, the text now, um, the first creation story starts with darkness and then the shining of a light. Um, the light is made distinct from the darkness. And so this is about awareness, waking up to what is actually darkness and suffocating and what is actually light and truth and freedom, right? This language of separating the light from the darkness. It's talking about this point of being able to wake up to uh, the darkness around us. And so it's one thing to awaken, um, but it's another to actually start moving. And day two is the beginning of movement. We see here the separation of the waters above and the waters below. And so this amounts to the withdrawal of the spiritual waters from the physical waters, like the leaven is removed from the matzah, right? The, the, the spiritual waters are removed from the physical waters, the waters above and the waters below. And so withdrawing the spirit from the matter is a kind of death. And so day two creates an imbalance and this imbalance is actually what we need so that we can have a part to play later in bringing balance again to the creation. But the creation of imbalance is not called good. It's just necessary. It's setting us up for something that we have a role to play in later, this bringing back down of the waters above uh, down to the waters below. We have a role to play in that. And that means a lot for us. So day three <clears throat> is the creation of the dry land and the plants bearing seed in them. This is the first expression of life on earth. It's, um, it's not the fullness of life, which is to come, but it's the first fruits. God gives us uh, first fruits as something to hold on to when the going gets tough, right? It's a touchstone for us 
Like, I know what he did then, and it was a miracle, and he gave me that, and I felt that, and, and I knew my life was different. And um, it becomes a, a touchstone in the same way that coming out of Egypt becomes a touchstone throughout Scripture, right? How many times do we read in Scripture, I'm the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be a God to you. And so day four is the creation of the sun, moon, and stars. And so at some point, the light has to be made comprehensible to us, right? Remember, there's a point in our journey where someone comes along and explains, well, here's what, here's what it is to follow God, and here's what it is to live a holy life, and it's laid out for us, and we have a choice for committing to God. And so this is like, um, uh, it's the, for, a, for a younger person, it's all that time you spent going to school, right? Um, and um, there's, it's about, it's a step of education and commitment. And so we're going to liken that to the creation of the sun, moon, and stars on day four. Well, day five is the creation of birds and fish. And uh, the connection here is a bit foggier, um, but it's one that Dr. Halisa Elwine brings out in her creation gospel teachings. What the birds and fish have in common with each other is that they move a lot, and they move in on, and this is important, invisible currents, right? The currents of the sea, and of the air, and there's migrations happening even of, of ocean creatures, and migrations of the birds, and they're moving on these invisible currents. And in the salvation pattern, what's happening here is great movements internally within us of the spirit and the soul in the form of deep repentance, right? Think Rosh Hashanah, and that movement of the air through the shofar, and that deep primordial sound, it makes this very deep movement of the Spirit that's happening in that time, calling us to repentance. And, um, and so that's something like uh, the creation of the birds and the fish on day five. Well, day six is the creation of beasts and mankind. And so in terms of the creation story, day six sets up the whole struggle within man. Again, this is something Dr. Aylwine brings out. And um, Grant points out that mankind is amphibious. We have an animal side and a godly side. And at birth, these are at war within us. We see the foundation for the sin struggle here on day six. And the correspondence that we see in the salvation pattern is the healing of this rift the healing of this battle, the connecting together of the spirit and, and the physical through Yeshua acting as high priest and the forgiveness of sins as he presents his own blood in the heavenly holy of holies. And so this is Yom Kippur, right? If we're uh, tracking these things through the Moedim. Well, day seven is the creation of Shabbat, uh, which corresponds to the completion of the reunification with God at a higher level and the rest and intimacy that comes with this completion, right? There is this, after the stumbling, there's this 
whole process of being reconnected to God at a higher level. And that's, uh, that's like the Shabbat on day seven of creation. Well, moving forward further into chapter two of Genesis, we want to keep going to the second journey. We have the story of the Garden of Eden and a bunch of detail about the four rivers that water it. The garden is symbolic of the ideal physical vessel, which is holy and flows with the Spirit, which Dr. Aylwine points out is the symbolism here of these rivers. They represent the flow of the Holy Spirit. And um, in a sense, our, our bodies and our souls again, um, are that garden that we're given to tend and to cultivate for fruitfulness. And so we have here, um, as we continue on in Genesis, a picture of this ideal vessel with the Spirit flowing through it. And, And over in the salvation pattern, we have a time of the cleansing of the vessel because it's not just about forgiving sin. It's about cleaning a sin out and um, cleaning out the vessel and so that the spirit can uh, pour through it. And so picture here again in the Moedim, uh, the cleansing of the temple and the oil in the menorah at Hanukkah, right? Hanukkah has these aspects to it of, of this oil, which we can think of as this flowing of the Spirit and these rivers in Eden that we're seeing in the second chapter in Genesis. And also this, um, the cleansing of the temple and the cleansing of the country from the Greek um, uh, control and of the impurity that the Greeks brought. Hanukkah, um, which is what we come to um, in the winter. So in the second half of chapter 2, we have the story of the creation of Eve. How is this going to lead us to uh, these latter stages of our salvation pattern? Well, the story uh, of the creation of Eve brings us to our goal, again, of the whole pattern, which is Echad. In fact, we find in the details here, you know, it's more than just the big idea. It's also in the details, always, that um, that goal that we come to of Echad, we, don't, we, we arrive there only through self-sacrifice. That leads to the formation of a transcendent body made of multiple parts. And so a side of Adam is taken, which is a picture of self-sacrifice. Right, Adam giving up of himself. Here, take this side. Um, and so that, what is taken from him, is used to form a suitable helpmate for him, who he can now serve and become bonded together with, to form a super body. Right, We have our own bodies, but when, we, when we're married, now we're forming a super body that is capable of much more than Adam was capable of alone. And again, it is only with this kind of echad that fertility can result. Well, I know I went rather quickly through these examples, but are you getting a glimpse of the power that God is revealing to us to add to our own light, to the light that, we've, uh, that he's provided, you know, 
in these darkening days, he's increasing the light for us. And I think this, what he's providing here, is, is a small part of that. And so truly, um, there's a powerful tool here for examining scripture and the world. And there's just no end to the applications of the salvation pattern. Even in preparing this teaching, I did a new study on the salvation pattern in the single word, Bereshit, right? those Hebrew letters. And so that's a lovely study um, that we don't have time for today. But when you start to grasp the root here, even in the clumsy ways that we are doing here today, there's just no end to the connections that begin to open up for us. Well, before I um, close here today um, with a few words about future plans, um, I want to briefly uh, directly connect Yeshua to the salvation pattern here today. And really, this is his story. He is at the root of the salvation pattern. And so, we could talk about Yeshua and the salvation pattern in a number of ways, including the letters of his name, right? Those four letters that spell out Yeshua in Hebrew. We could also talk about Yeshua's connection to the pattern through the progression of the Gospels and what each of the four Gospels is bringing out differently about Yeshua. Uh, today, though, I want to just touch on uh, three phases of Yeshua's life. So infancy, adolescence, and adulthood. And we'll just see how some of the general themes of the salvation pattern we can find in these three phases of Yeshua's life. Well, to begin with, we see Yeshua as a baby born in the darkness of obscurity, right? And even, he's not born into a famous family in Israel. And maybe even born in a cave, if that's where the animals were being kept, where they found shelter there because they couldn't find room in the inn in Bethlehem. A picture of being born in darkness there. And um, even further, he is carried <coughs> into Egypt because of <coughs> Herod's evil decree at that time. And so... He, like Israel, is carried forth out of the darkness of Egypt. So we have this darkness at the beginning of Yeshua's life and um, the beginning of the salvation pattern. So next we see Yeshua as a young man learning Torah at the feet of the teachers at the temple and doing a bit of teaching of his own too. And um, this is like the fourth step in the pattern the Shavuot step of Torah learning and adolescence. And finally, in his adult service, we're just going to see all kinds of themes come through there at, of the latter themes of, uh, of the salvation pattern. And so, for one thing, he also leads the people to repentance. It's not just John the Baptist. Um, it's also, which we could see as the month of Elul and the beginning of repentance, um, Yeshua also is saying to the people, you need to repent, and the kingdom of heaven is here. And so he also connects the people's hearts to God and to God's heart through his teachings that penetrate to the heart of the Torah, right? It is through the heart of the Torah that he is able to pull the hearts of the people to God's heart. 
And so that's through his teachings. In his death and resurrection, he affects the forgiveness of sins. In his ascension, he sends the gift of the Spirit that cleanses and flows through us, right? Like these rivers in uh, Eden. And so he is also our ultimate example of how we become a living sacrifice, right? Adam donates a side of his body. Um, It is upon the foundation of Yeshua and no other foundation that the body of believers is built, right? This building of of a building, this building of a temple, this building of a tabernacle, this building of a body that we see at the end, the new Jerusalem. It's all built on him. He is the foundation of that building. And so it is through him and him alone that we are joined to God, becoming echad with both God and each other. And we praise him today. Well, that's a good way to end this series of teachings. Let me just say a few words now about what I plan to tackle next. So before this year of teaching started, I had been working on developing a salvation pattern course. And um, at that time, I had been preparing a number of PowerPoints and notes, and I had largely mapped out a course. And that happened because I was at first writing about all of this. But as I learned more, I kept going back and rewriting and endlessly rewriting. And I said, let me just make some PowerPoints, and um, I can change those quickly as I learn more. And then that just grew, you know, as a teacher, I would use PowerPoints in my teaching. And so I began to plan a course uh, with the Lord's leading. And so Lord willing, uh, but all of that kind of stopped as I threw myself into what became a a bigger teaching series than I thought it was going to be at first uh, each week. But um, Lord willing here, after a short break to catch up on a few things, I'll be finishing uh, the planning for that group of teachings, that course, a a salvation pattern course, and then begin recording, hopefully uh, one or two a month, maybe. And so these teachings will make use of many visuals, not just words on a screen, but also pictures, and um, to help with the presentation of the ideas and um, the beginning of the course will start with a systematic presentation of the pattern of salvation, starting even with the more basic pattern of oneness, separation, and reunification, which is the three-step pattern at the root. And um, going on then to into the salvation pattern itself, and then one by one through uh, many of the most central progressions in Scripture and Um, some important progressions in the natural world as well, like the seasons and and the harvests in Israel. And what we want to do there is lay out the salvation pattern and then see it and and uncover how it's been hidden, how God has hidden it in all of these different um, important aspects of our world and in the Word. And um, I I just have a lot of joy in this kind of study. And... um, as it's planned now, uh, each teaching would have a uh, would have review points at the beginning. Um, you know, this is the teacher again in me. Review points and then discussion points, and then uh, that's all activating your own schema. 
and then new material. And so it's, it's, in a way, it's designed to be used with small groups or individuals, but it could be used uh, for discussion among small groups and learning. And so as for where and when uh, they will be posted, just stay tuned. They will be either... Um, they will either appear on Beth Takoon's various platforms, the, the uh, Beth Takoon YouTube page and Vimeo and the Beth Takoon website, or we'll just go ahead and create a separate venue um, specially for them. Well, I'm excited to turn my attentions back to that project, uh, which I let go of as I began to go deeper into uh, this um, series of teachings, Spiritual Seasons. But... Um, God wants us to grow, and he has provided a pathway for growth in him, and that pathway is none other than his son, Yeshua. And as we study that pathway, we reveal Yeshua at the very foundation of the universe. Well, that's all for today and for this series. Again, I want to thank all of you who have been watching and listening. It really means a lot to me. And um, to God be the glory. And um, may we be a people who walk with understanding along the path of salvation he has established for us. And in doing that, may we rise up to be the people he has made us to be. Shalom. Shalom.